Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Church London catch-up service. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a passion to present Jesus to London and would love for you to be part of the adventure. So why not say hello to us by visiting our website manualchurchlondon.org so we can get back to you and say a bit more of a personal hello. All of you, um, it's good to see us filling back up um, at this time of year and uh, if I don't know you, then a particular welcome to you. My name is Ben and I'm one of the leaders here at Manuel Church London. We're going to be getting into um, a new series today in the book of Jonah. Um, and I've just been given a gift and I don't know if she's here. I don't embarrass you, Rachel. Is she over here? Rachel, give us a wave. Rachel made me this wonderful t-shirt. I don't know if you can see it. Jonah and Emmanuel series, Fallen Too Deep. Um, I, I, I ordered a large and I've picked it up and I think I should have ordered an extra large. So uh, someone can buy that off me later. But also, she's made these badges for our young people. Emmanuel Church London Youth presenting Jesus to London. So if you're in the youth work, you can come and grab one of these off me later on. And if you, um, if you do need... T-shirts, badges, I mean, honestly, I, I had the privilege of popping into the office and uh, all kinds of different things, mugs and cups, and if you need anything like that, then head to Rachel. Thank you for this T-shirt, and I'm sorry, but I might need an extra large one. <laughs> sorry. So, I've given it away a little bit, so we are going to be starting this new series. I'm going to put that there. In Jonah, and um, I just wanted to start by giving a little bit of an overview of it, I guess. So, if you're new... Um, to church, and you don't know the Bible, Jonah's um, uh, a book in the Bible that's in the Old Testament. So it took place before Jesus came from heaven to earth and lived and died and rose again. And um, it's, a, it's a short book of the Bible. It's actually only four chapters long. And the way that it's divided really is just into two, two chapters and two chapters. And it sort of mirrors itself as you go through it. The first two chapters, God comes to this guy called Jonah and he says, I want you to go to this city called Nineveh. And I'll, basically, I want you to preach to them. I want you to tell them to turn from their wickedness. I want you to tell them to turn to me and repent. Uh, and the first two chapters uh, are really about how Jonah ran in the opposite direction. The second two chapters are the, the opposite. So how Jonah says yes to God, but actually underneath it all, has still got a pretty poor attitude to what God's actually asked him to do. So in on the one hand, you get this guy running away from the will of God. The other is what seems to be a guy in the will of God, but in both occasions, actually resistant to what God wants to do. And we nearly called this series, It Ain't About the Fish. And um, we nearly did. Um, and I just want to say that, that it's not... Um, if you're here thinking of, it's about a whale, it's not about a whale. It's definitely not because that's not even in the Bible. Um, and it's not even about a fish. The, the fish is literally just like half a sentence. And um, we're not going to major on that at all. We will come to the fish. But really what you're going to get in this book is something quite different. You're, you're going to get a, a front row seat to see the radical grace and love of a holy God. You're going to see the necessity that each and every single one of us have for this great love and mercy. You're going to see the contrast between really wicked people, people that we could look at and just be like, well, obviously you need a bit of help, in comparison to people that maybe seemingly have got it all together, that are keeping all the rules. Both people in absolute need of the grace and the love of God. 
This book is, is genuinely going to challenge those of you that are running from God, those of us that are running from God. It's going to challenge those of us that are trying to win his approval by doing all the right things. More than that, it's going to help us not just see the necessity of God's grace, but it's going to, we're going to see that he has freely given us his grace. He's not playing hard to get. He's not making it difficult for you to come. He not only has grace and love, but he's made it available for every single person. No matter where you come from, no matter what your background, no matter how bad you think you are, there is grace for you that comes from the one true living God. So we're excited for this series. You see on the, the slide, Jonah series, Fallen Too Deep. Briefly, no, you haven't. <laughs> we could just shut it up there, couldn't we, and call it a day. No, you haven't. We're going to start today at the beginning of the book of Jonah in chapter one. And we're literally just going to read the first three verses. And I'm going to just try and draw a few bits out. And then we'll be working through it for the next few weeks. So it says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's often how things start when God starts to speak to a prophet. So it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittia. He said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port, which was Tarshish. After paying the fare, he went on board and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You notice that it keeps repeating where he's going to make the point that he's not going in the direction that God had asked him to go. He's going away from where God had called him. And it's important that we just get hold of a little bit about what's going on in these first few verses by just understanding a little bit of the background, I guess, of who Jonah is, why he reacts in this kind of way. Because when we read stories like this, when we come across stories like this, it's maybe for many of us, we've heard it like in Sunday school and we're just like, oh, silly old Jonah. Why is Jonah running away from God? And actually, I think when you take a deeper look, you'll probably be able to empathise a little bit more. Let's just take a look at the first point that I want to make, and that's this, mercy and grace it's not what we think. In other words, it's much better, bigger, vaster than you could possibly imagine. Let's just think about where it is that God's asking Jonah to go, this place called Nineveh. See, this place, Nineveh, Jonah's completely aware of it. And it's like the Wild West on steroids, okay? This place is the wicked, wicked, wickedest city that exists. This isn't just that the leaders are like fiddling some of their expenses or did a really bad job on Brexit. These people are twisted in every sense of the word. They would have been known as a terrorist nation in that day and age. They were vile. They were on the far end of the extreme of violence and terror. That's how Nineveh rolled. They would take great delight. The leadership would take great delight in leaving whole fields scattered with dead bodies. They would skin their prisoners, they would burn people alive, including infants, they would decapitate people and then cause friends and family to parade around with their heads. That's who you're dealing with when it comes to Nineveh. Do you empathise with Jonah a little bit more now? So when we talk about this city, we need to understand who it is that God is asking Jonah to go to. 
And it, it just seems remarkable then that for Jonah, probably God is asking him to go to the place, the people group that he hates most, that he despises most, that he's in fear of most. He's asking him to go to the people that, quite frankly, he would like to see completely annihilated and wiped off of the face of planet Earth. And in his mind, probably justly. And maybe you're sat here today and maybe you've not come across people that have done quite that kind of thing. <laughs> probably not. But I tell you, when it talks about the great city, what God's getting at isn't that it's great in the sense of, oh, isn't Nineveh great? He's saying it's great in the sense that it's a, a military force to be reckoned with. It's great in terms of the economy. It's a powerhouse. But it's full of wickedness. It's full of vile men and women doing extremely wicked things. Maybe for you, there's particular people groups that you look at and you feel exactly the same. They're the ones that have offended me from generation to generation to generation. Maybe it's a particular group of friends that you just have, have stabbed you in the back. Maybe years ago, maybe at school or college or university. And you're like, how on earth could they treat me like that? Maybe it's one particular person and the offence came again and again and again. Or maybe it was just one moment where someone did the most unthinkable thing. And as Christians, deep down in our hearts, we, sort of, we, we know what we should think, feel, do. And yet in reality, we're faced with exactly what Jonah was faced with, that we just want to turn and run away from those people. God shows grace and mercy to the vilest of offenders. That's a difficult thing for us to get our heads around. If you think about the word mercy being that where you withhold from someone what they deserve and grace being that that we act and we, we give undeserved favour. When it comes to God, we sort of know that, right? Even if you're not around church much, if I said to you, I believe as a Christian that God's full of mercy and full of grace, you might be like, okay, yeah. Where's that line where it goes too far? So when, we, when you really think about those people that I've just mentioned in your own situation, or if we try and think of the most vile people on planet Earth at the moment, the most wicked Throughout whole of history, you start to think about the ones that have gone the furthest, the ones that have done that. Do we say his mercy and grace is even sufficient for them? Is it even for them? I've been asked that down the pub so many times. You know, you just start naming dictators. My mates are like stood at the bar with me going, what, like God would forgive this guy and this guy? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he would. Hopefully the conversation doesn't end just there. <laughs> and it's not going to today. His grace and his mercy is way way beyond what we could possibly imagine to the point where it becomes quite uncomfortable if you really think about it. It shouldn't be palatable in that sense. You almost have to get used to it. If, if, if the grace and the love of God is just like, yeah, 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 I get it. It's like, no, 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 you don't get it. None of us get it. It is it's so much wider, so much greater, goes so much further than we could possibly imagine. And I tell you, in, in this day and age, it's just completely counter to the culture that we're in, right? I was speaking to the young people on Friday night about the woman at the well 
Gaz always laughs at me and says that I preach that like about 20 times a year, which isn't true, um, but I do love it as a story. And we were just talking about how Jesus is so different, how he crosses over barrier after barrier after barrier in that particular story. You know, in that context, a man speaking with a woman, a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman, and just how much people would have just looked on and been like, no, 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 no. And we talked about what, what does society do? What does culture do in this day and age with people that do things that are wrong? This whole thing around can, cancel culture. We, we want to point the finger of justice at people. But then what? What happens when we bring people to account? Where does it go? I was on holiday this year and I was listening to a, a table of people speaking. There's about six or seven adults on the table. And they were t- talking about um, the penalty of death. And the whole table, they were talking about quite a wicked crime. And I'm not going to go into the details because it was pretty gruesome. They're talking about this wicked crime. And one woman on the table said, you know what? And I don't think they were Christians. She said, you know what? I, I think that we have to have a system that allows for restoration. That allows for people that have done the worst of things to come back again into society in some way, shape or form. Now, it may not be that they come out, in, out of prison, but for some way there's a reconciliation through for them. And the table, honestly, were just horrified. And quite simply, and these were all Brits, quite simply, they were just like, kill them. Lock them up, throw the key away or kill them. And I want to say this again to you, church. That's not how God deals with people. It just isn't. And I want to I just encourage, I want you to feel <laughs> the fact that that is quite uncomfortable when you think of the worst of the worst. I'm going to say it again. The grace, the mercy of God goes further, wider and deeper than you could possibly imagine. It is uncomfortable. But praise God, it does. For the sake of you and me and all of mankind. Because we need it. The second point I just want to get to is that it's hard to handle. And I've obviously covered this a little bit already, but I just want to sort of zone in a bit more. Jonah, let's get back to the story, is in, is in therefore a difficult spot, right? You can empathize, you can relate a little bit more. First of all, you have to actually just consider how dangerous this mission would be for Jonah. Yeah, I've just told you what these people do to their enemies. God comes along to Jonah and is like, hey, do, do you fancy going and speaking to these guys? I'm like, nah, I'm all right. I'm just going to stay here in Israel and I'm going to keep speaking to the guys that already know you. That's safe. That's what it's all about. Literally, you, you think about, I don't know, let's take Genghis Khan. You go and talk to Genghis Khan and a few thousand of his generals, and the plan is that you're going to go and you're going to tell him, good news, guys, you've got it completely wrong. You are vile and wicked, and God is going to destroy you unless you turn to him. It wouldn't feel like a safe mission, would it? Well, that's exactly the same for Jonah. Jonah, on, on the face of it, is, is just given this, these orders that are incredibly dangerous. But also think about what it's like for Jonah amongst the Israelites. So Nineveh would have uh, and had already attacked the northern kingdom of Israel a number of different times. They were constantly under threat. They knew the stories, right? They were, they were a nation that were just striking terror into the hearts of all of the nations around them. So imagine then Jonah turning to his mates. He says, guys, I've come up with a plan. I'm going to go to Nineveh and I'm going to tell them that they can have relationship with our God. Without getting into all the context of what was going on at that time in terms of just being outside of the people of God and all that kind of stuff, this this is just difficult. It, It wouldn't be palatable, would it? 
You'd be sort of like, oh, you're going to go, go speak to the ones that just invaded and killed all of our friends and family in the north? The, the ones that burn people and skin people? You, you're going to go and ask them to have a relationship with our God? Jonah would know, even if I speak to Israel, I'll be lucky to get away with my life, let alone if I actually make it to Nineveh. So this is like a lose-lose situation on the face of it. Deeper than that, the bigger issue that's going on underneath all of those things, the ultimate reason that Jonah runs is not that he's running from Nineveh, which he is in part, or running from Israel, or even the plan. Ultimately, he's running from the one who has given the plan. Right at the core of what's going on in the heart of Jonah is, I don't like what you've just said, God. And I'm going that way. Jonah has come face to face with the real God of the Bible. That uncomfortable reality, oh, God's not what I thought he was. He's more gracious. He's more merciful. He's going to do things in a way that I wouldn't do them. And Jonah's come face to face with the reality of this God and he's like, I can't deal with that. I'm gone. Now, how often, church, do we find ourselves in a place where maybe we go for months, years, thinking that we know the God of the Bible and really we don't at all? Because that news comes that we've always dreaded. And it's horrific. And we're like, what? How can God be good if that's the news I've just got? Well, that moment happens when you feel like you've been betrayed by the people that are closest to you. How can you possibly be good and let that happen? Or maybe he comes and he asks you to do something just like he did Jonah and you think, how could you possibly ask me to move house and go to that city? How could you ask me to hang on in there and to keep paying (laughs) the amount of money we pay for rent in that city? How could you ask me to go there? How are you good if you're putting my family through this particular circumstance or that particular circumstance? And we're faced with the reality that the sovereign God of the Bible and being in relationship with him doesn't mean just skipping through the fields with daisies. That there's hardships and there's pain and there's challenge and difficulty and there's asks of us that aren't about us but are about others around us as well. One of the times that I remember as I was reading through this story, (laughs) I made a joke the other week that I always tell stories about my past and how you're all bored. I'm just going to keep doing it. And I said that and I'm going to keep doing it. Um, So you might have heard it already, but it's so fun. It's not funny. I mean, honestly, I pray this never happens to me. One of my boys sat in here. Um, but I was, I was living like a crazy life. Like I grew up, my mum and dad were leading a church and it really, it was dark, you know, like loads of Christians like, oh yeah, I was backslid and all this kind of stuff. Like I, I was in quite deep. It was, you know, police and violence and, and everything that went with it. And um, I remember sitting my mum and dad down and I said to them, look, I had a few, few guys after me at the time where it was like, it's going to step up a level. Now they didn't, they didn't know, they, they knew that I wasn't quite right but they didn't know where it was going to go. And selling, selling serious would have happened to either me or to them to sort of deal with this situation. So I come into them one day and I say, look, I've made a decision that I'm going to sort myself out, uh, but I'm going to need to get away. And they're, like, they're looking at me and you can see almost like this hope start to fill up in their faces. Go, where are you going to go, Ben? 
decided to go to Magaluf. And uh, you, pardon? I'm going Magaluf. We like to call it Maga. And they're looking at me and they're like, right, to sort your life out. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great. And in that moment, you know, people would like, obviously talk about, they knew who I was. They're like, obviously he's going for the party. Like, he's a party boy, isn't he? He's going for that and there'll be the drugs and the drink and the women. He'll have a great time because he's the party lad. Of course, my mum and dad are devastated thinking, why on earth is he just so just determined to run in that direction? And do you know what the interesting thing is that's going on underneath the surface? It wasn't, I did like to party, but that wasn't really what was going on. What was really going on is that I was a scared young man that was running away from facing up to reality. That's what was really going on. I was scared what these guys were going to do to me because it was serious. I was scared what it would mean to really turn back to my family and be like, do you want to know really what's going on? Like, you know that I'm not living a life for God, but you really want to know what's going on? I was scared how the church would respond to me. My dad was leading a church at the time. I was, I was scared for his reputation. All of these things. Obviously, the obvious answer was to go to Magaluf, right? Didn't work out well, by the way. We'll save that story for another Sunday. And uh, wasn't a great time on the island and came back quite soon. Um, but the point is that underneath it all, I, I was running from... I knew God. I'd met him. I was running. Running from him. Running from my family. Running from turning in and just being like, okay, let's face up to this. Because I didn't understand what would happen if I did. I didn't trust him. Ultimately, I didn't trust the goodness of God. It wasn't enough. I was scared. I thought I'd be crushed, cast out, pushed away. That's what our culture does, right? We find people out and we crush them. We push them out to the edges of society. We never want to hear from you or see from you ever again because you've gone too far. We've all had moments like this, haven't we? Maybe not to Magaluf. But moments where we're faced with a situation, am I going to trust in the goodness of God? Am I going to trust that if I turn in with my own junk, that he's not going to crush me? Am I going to trust that if I turn into this really difficult situation where I've got to face up to forgiveness and forgiving someone that's offended me, the vilest offender, that he's going to give me grace in order to do it? Am I going to trust him? Am I going to trust the will of God in my life? Or am I going to just keep running? The final thing, I just want to land, hopefully this is flowing, you're with me, yeah, in terms of how it's moving, is this, this point of surrender. So ultimately what's going on with Jonah, the biggest challenge that's going on is that he wants to play God. He wants to sit in the judgment seat of God. He, that, that's what he's doing. He's saying, your plan is not okay. I'm not interested in it. I'm going to go this way. Really what he's saying is, if I was in charge then I wouldn't be running. I wouldn't be going Nineveh, but I certainly wouldn't be running because I know what's best. What he really wants is all the good people to be preserved and all the bad people to be executed. That's what Jonah wants ultimately. And he sort of misunderstood the fact that all of us fall short of the glory of God, right? He's sort of painting this picture of Nineveh and saying, well, they're the wicked ones and we're the good ones. And he's sort of missed it. And it's the same, you know, there's this injustice that's going on and, and the wrestle, and you can imagine it, can't you? Because frankly, if you've lived this life where you're like, well, I grew up in Israel and I've done a few sort of bad things here and there. I've definitely thought a few bad things. 
But when it, in comparison to Nineveh, like, I'm doing all right. So you can imagine the wrestle, the injustice. God, you want to you wanna forgive them. You want to show mercy to them. And that's the kind of thing that goes on in our heart all the time. When people let us down, when people say things about us, when people like write messages to other friends about us, when we're in these predicaments where people have done things to us that you couldn't even imagine, how on earth has this happened to me? When we read things in the papers, and if you still read a paper, or just go online if you like, it's up to you. Uh, I'm keeping it old school. Um, we read things in the media. Sorry, it was like a really serious moment, wasn't it? And now you're like, how do I cope with that? You're still with me, yeah? Let's go back serious. Uh, you read things in the media, and, uh, and it's just like, I don't know how to do with this. It feels so unjust. Like, I know I'm supposed to show mercy. I know I'm supposed to show grace, but it just feels unjust. It's not fair. And without going into loads more stories, like, honestly, come and have a chat. Like, I've got lots where it'd feel unjust. It'd feel both in my own life. It feels unfair that I've received forgiveness. Some of you here today need to hear that. It just feels utterly unjust that God would forgive you. And for some of you, like the biggest thing is, is the other end of the spectrum where you're like, how could I possibly forgive that person? How could I possibly begin to think that I could forgive that people group? You've got no idea, Ben, what they've done, what it's been like from generation to generation. And I just want to say this, with, with all humility and not brushing it under the carpet at all, but it would do us all good when it comes to the subject of, of just things being unjust and unjust and seeing things going on in the world, is to take our eyes off of ourselves. It would do us good to look at the injustice of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because, and, and I, I, I don't know, this is, I don't know how to describe this to you in a way, and I just, I just pray, Holy Spirit, even now, just help us grasp this. The cross where Jesus died the injustice of that moment wasn't just because an innocent man died. That's happened many, many times. And yes, moments like that are utterly devastating and, and there's a justice issue in there, absolutely. But we have to understand not just what happened to an innocent man. This was the God-man. This was Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. We have to understand the magnitude of who it is that we're talking about here. We have to understand when those Roman soldiers' hands gripped this man and threw him into the mud, the injustice of these moments where they lashed him again and again and they drove a, a thorny crown upon his head. We have to understand who it is that's going through such things. When they threw the robe around him and they mocked him saying, look at him, king of the Jews. And he walked up the hill of Calvary and they nailed him to the tree on the cross his nails going through his hands and his feet. Church, it would do us good to recognise not just the injustice of that moment because of who it is that's dying on the cross. Being pinned to a cross by those that he had created. See, Jesus, the Son of the living God, he's always existed with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's the one that breathed life into humanity. Ever been out in the wilderness and, and been just blown away at the breathtaking views? That's part of who he is. It's part of his creation, the creativity, the overflow of the love of who he is. And here he is in the form of man dying on a cross. 
at the hands of those that he created. And then you have to ask the question, well, why? Not only is this radically unjust, but why is he dying? And he's dying for this reason, because all have fallen short of the glory of God. He surrenders himself to the Father's will. He doesn't run like Jonah runs. He doesn't run like you and I would run, but he turns into the will of the Father. Why? For people like you and me. Because when the Bible says all fall short of the glory of God, that means that this moment on the cross was necessary, the substitute saying, I'm going to take the punishment that wicked people deserve. I'm going to take it. The punishment of death, I'm going to take it upon myself. Which means when Jesus died on the cross and said it's finished, he said it over Nineveh. He said it over modern day London. He said it over Jonah. He said it over you. And he says it over me. Because every single one of us, despite how small you think the sin is, are deserving of death. And when we look and we behold the cross and we think about who it is that's dying on the cross and why he's dying on the cross, it's this weird tension that brings the most vile, unjust moment that has ever existed and ever will exist and it can put a smile on your face. Why? Because it's for me. Because he's dying for me. He's taking my punishment and he's pointing to me and he's saying, Ben, you were deserving of this, but I've taken it upon my own shoulders. You go free. This is who our great king is. It's who he is for the vilest of offender. And so if you're here today and you're thinking, have I gone too deep? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not because if you get tucked in and read your Bible enough and pray enough, then one day you might make it because he took the punishment that you deserve. And all you've got to do is receive it for yourself. It feels too good. It sounds too good. Trust me, it is. It's, I'm still trying to learn it now. I don't get it. I honestly don't. You've heard me say it so many. I don't understand why, but it is true. I don't know why I'd forgive someone like me, but it's true. And it's the same for people outside of us when we have to go and forgive. Now, I just want to finish just by saying this. If you have been in situations where you have been offended, abused, particular circumstances that maybe aren't safe, what I'm talking about here is forgiveness. I'm not saying go and be best friends with those people. I'm not saying that it's safe just to go and just brush it under the carpet and get on with life. I'm not saying that at all. But trust me when I say, whether it's yourself or whether it's somebody else, if we harbour resentment and bitterness, it will chew us up inside. And it will not bring life. You and I need the same grace and mercy that those people need that we look at and think you are the worst of the worst. That's difficult for us to hear, but it's necessary. We need to release them. And here's the thing that I believe that needs to happen today is that when Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father and he went and did what the Father asked him. Today, I believe that for some of us, we need to surrender the judgment seat to the real judge. Let him be the judge. Because there's a day that's coming where every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Let him be the judge. Give them to him. Give them to him. I feel like when we were just preparing and praying and I feel like that's one of the things that I just really want to encourage us with today, to surrender that seat. 
And, and really just these two things. One, for some of you, you've got to let him be the judge of you. And, and, and this is my story, and I've, I've circled this about three times already, but I just want to really like drill it in. I, I judged myself differently to everyone else for so long. Because what I would do is I'd, I'd say, he's your judge, so you go free. But my stuff's bigger than that. I can't receive it for myself. And when I started just trusting him to be the judge, he's like, yeah, your, your stuff was deserving of death. I've taken it, like I said earlier. Some of you, you need to surrender the seat of judgment and let the king be the judge of you and trust what he's done for you. For some of us, it is the other end of it. You need to surrender the judgment seat for people that have offended and done you wrong and done harm. It's time to release them. And it's not releasing them like, <laughs> and God will get them on the day of judgment. I pray, pray that these people come to know him. And even they would know the grace and the mercy of God like we know it. Amen? Band, why don't you come and uh, just start to lead us. We're going to take communion in a moment. I just want us to focus on this subject of surrender for a minute. So let's stand. I'm just going to pray and we're going to sing this song and then we'll, we'll go on from there. Will you stand with me? Just close your eyes if you, if you know the Lord and just, just start to, just to think on him. And if you don't know him today, I just want to encourage you, why not um, just allow the Lord to speak to you? Why not pray a prayer? See what happens. Talk to somebody after the meeting. Um, let me pray. Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you in this place right now. Holy Spirit, would you fill every single one of us here today? Lord, we want to stop running. And we just want to confess it's so hard. It's so hard to turn into our own junk. It's so hard to turn into people that have offended us and hurt us and said things about us. It's so hard to forgive family members and friends that were supposed to be there for us and weren't. We just want to be real, God. It's hard. It's hard. And so we need you. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need you to show us, Lord God. And I pray now that you would just take us by the hand and you just turn us, Lord. I pray this day would be a day of surrender. I pray it would be a day where people stop running I say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to help me forgive. I'm going to trust you to let go of these worst moments. I'm going to trust you that you forgive me, that I go free, that it's finished in my life. Lord, I pray you'd help us to surrender to the truth of who you are and all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.